Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Crime Story Podcast with Carrie Antholis, where stories of crime and justice are told. On today's podcast, Chris Taracone reads his story, Kathy Durst Speaks from the Past, Don't Let the Bastard Get Away With It, which you can find in written form at crimestory.com. It is rare for a jury to hear from a victim in a murder trial. But Kathy Durst finally has her opportunity to offer her contribution to the effort to hold Robert Durst accountable for his actions. Nearly 40 years after her disappearance, Kathy's plea is being relayed to a Los Angeles jury through her friend, Marion Watlington. She said, should anything happen to me, you make sure you don't let the bastard get away with it. Watlington, an older, blonde-haired woman in her early to mid-70s wearing all black, is a witness for the prosecution in the trial of Robert Durst for the murder of Susan Berman. The prosecution intends to convince the jury that Durst killed Berman as part of his efforts to cover up his responsibility for the murder of his wife, Kathy Durst. In questioning her, the prosecution and defense will shape how the jurors fit Watlington's testimony into their understanding of what happened to Kathy Durst. The sides bring vastly different strategies to their efforts to contextualize for the jury Watlington's relationship with Kathy and Kathy's final words of fear and foreboding. The prosecution begins spinning its version of the narrative by leading Watlington through how the two women became friends in the first place. So when Kathy came to you, what did she say to you? She said, um, Marion, I understand you're going into medicine, and that's exactly what I want to do, too. So, What's, what's the next thing that happened between you and Kathy? Uh, we, we became friendly. Um, I met with her outside of the school, and uh, we talked at length about how she could manage to do that. I told her of my experiences and how I went about it. And I said, I think you can just follow in my footsteps um, in applying to the schools around the area where you live that you think you could commute to, and, uh, and this is how we did it. Is it fair to say that you served as a, as a mentor to Kathy? Very much so. How much older, uh, approximately, if you can recall, were you than Kathy? How much older was I? Yes. Um, I think it was five or seven years, something like that. The two women met at Western Connecticut State College in 1977, where Watlington was filling in as an instructor to a group of nursing students, which included Kathy, before she switched to pre-med. And in terms of what Kathy was like specifically as a student, can you describe her as a student? 
um, I was struck by how intelligent and how bright she was. She was head and shoulders over her um, other students around her. Um, she easily grasped concepts and was alert and comfortable <clears throat> with the learning and, um, and the challenge of going on. And as one of her instructors, are you aware, I'm not asking for her exact grade point, but how did she do? She did very well. Um, if it were suggested, strike that, were you in contact with Kathy as she was applying to medical school? Yes. And did you have involvement in helping her prepare her applications? No, she did that all on her own. Did you discuss issues relating to applying and where she should go, what would make her a strong candidate, etc.? Not really. She seemed to be more than capable of doing all of that on her own. Based on what you knew about Kathy Durst, if it were suggested that Kathy only got into medical school because of family connection, what would be your response to that? I would say that's just not true. As Deputy District Attorney John Lewin guides Watlington, she presents her relationship with Kathy Durst as a healthy friendship between intelligent and ambitious peers. And you indicated that Kathy was, you said, head and shoulders above the other students at Western Connecticut. Can you tell me, in terms of her attitude and demeanor, how excited was she about becoming a doctor? She was um, just a delightful person to know. This was uh, a big ambition of hers. Um, we were two, two people heading in the same direction, and I found her to be um, very much motivated and uh, intrigued and interested. She talked about being, being a pediatrician. Lewin's questioning leads Watlington to recall moments of excitement, sadness, and terror. For jurors, the testimony offers a visceral connection to Kathy providing a window into the final turbulent years of her marriage to Robert Durst. As Watlington's narrative moves into the heart of those dark times, Lewin subtly guides her to delve into the emotional aspects of her memories. If you can recall right now, can you please indicate during those calls, what was Kathy's demeanor? Can you describe it? Her demeanor was she was just very angry, upset, um, what was her tone distraught. of voice? Distraught. Tone of voice? Um, well, one, it's hard to say, you know. Uh, she was upset, I can say that. She told me, if you want me to tell you what she told me, she told me that she had been beaten up by her husband um, to the point where she had gone to the hospital and uh, they had taken pictures to document her injury, injuries. What did um, you say to her in response? I was extremely worried for her. She said she wanted, she was, wanted to get a divorce. Um, and I was worried that she would be in further danger of being beaten by him and possibly lose her life. Did you express those concerns to her? Yes, I did. And what was her response when you expressed those concerns? She said, I'm, I'm going to leave him soon, but I want to stay for a little longer. Did she explain to you why? Yes, she wanted to get paperwork 
um, and things like that to justify a proper type of settlement from him in, in a divorce proceedings. If I were to ask you about Kathy's personality, and I would say, um, do you know what the term doormat is? It's not a very nice I term. Do. I do. Would you consider Kathy to be a doormat or a stronger person? She was no doormat. With respect to her husband and the way that she talked to you on the phone about the relationship, did it appear that when it came to her husband and what she was telling you, was she the same strong person that you knew her to be? I think she was walking tentatively around him because of the violence that was occurring. Much like he did in his opening statement, Lewin weaves the tale together cinematically, culminating in Kathy Durst speaking directly to the jurors from the past. When you expressed to her that you were afraid that it might escalate and that she might lose her life, did she say anything to reassure you other than, I need to get these papers, I need to, to stay? She said, should anything happen to me, you make sure you don't let the bastard get away with it. That statement where Kathy said, if something happens to me, don't let the bastard get away with it. You just testified to that a moment ago. Yes. You stated that to investigators previously before the day in court, correct? I did call when she disappeared. Your Honor, there's no question, you can't. Next question. When have you said that statement before? I called the police in New York uh, when her picture appeared in the paper saying missing. Let me stop I you. Is that going to be back near when she disappeared in February uh, of 1982? Yeah. And who did you call? There was a number in the New York Post um, in the article under her picture, and it was at the police, so I called that number. And I just spoke to an anonymous policeman, that's it. And did you give the information that you have just related? I did. I will never forget those words. Tired of ads interrupting your gripping investigations? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Ads shouldn't be the scariest thing about true crime. Start listening by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash true crime ad free. That's amazon.com slash true crime ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. The defense has a storytelling strategy as well. David Chesnoff begins cross-examination by seeking to establish that Watlington is hostile towards Robert Durst and that her testimony is prejudiced against him. Through his questioning, Chesnoff reveals that Watlington rebuffed all efforts by Durst the lawyers to talk with her while speaking with prosecutors multiple times. He follows that by suggesting that, far from a victim, Kathy benefited from Durst's largesse and relished the lifestyle he provided her. And Kathy was living a very nice lifestyle at the time, was she not? Yes. And that's because uh, Mr. Durst and uh, in part was able to provide her with that lifestyle, correct? I have no knowledge of how they arranged their um, finances. Well, you knew that Mr. Durst, to quote you, 
traveled in high circles. I did. I knew that they lived in New York City, and uh, they often were in social circles with the mayors and politicians of New York City. That's okay. what I meant by that. Okay, and it. When Lewin objects, one wonders whether it is merely on legal grounds or part of a larger effort to disrupt any momentum that Chesnoff may be building in crafting a compelling cinematic counter-narrative for the jurors. And you said that you thought Bob seemed withdrawn, correct? Correct. You're a medical doctor, who's very well educated. <laughs> Would you characterize Bob as being socially awkward? Your Honor, that calls for an expertise and a foundation that's no, not been demonstrated. Oh, well, lay opinion. Yeah, can we clarify that it's lay opinion, not her as a doctor? That's my problem. Well, can right. I do this on his examination when I'm finished, Your Honor? No, it's an objection. If well, then make an objection and don't speak. Easy. Chesnoff appears particularly tone deaf in his narrative when he asks Watlington about Gilberte Najami, one of the last people to ever see Kathy. Do you remember when you talked to law enforcement? describing a friend of uh, Kathy Durst, a lady named Gilberte Najami. Do you remember talking about her to the police, or um, Mr. Lewin? I, uh, yes, I remember when they talked to me in Australia in, in 2015. Correct. Yes. yes. Um, and when you were speaking to them, you described uh, Gilberte Najami as being kind of a party person. Do you recall that? That she threw big functions? This was five years ago. Um, or even not when you spoke to them. Do you yeah, remember I that just, now? I remember Gilberta and the Jamie. I met her after Kathy disappeared. I heard of her. And I met her after she disappeared. And, uh, we, you know, probably two or three of us got together and... We're asking each other, where could Kathy have gone? Okay, but she you was don't, missing, you know? But focusing on the question, did you know Ms. Najami to be the person that has parties? I, I knew that she catered parties. Okay. And did you describe Gilberte as Kathy Durst's love friend? You remember saying that? No, I did not describe her. She was described to me as possibly her love friend. I had not never heard that before. Who described that to you? Your Honor, that this is absolutely irrelevant. There is um, under 352. Okay. This Offer of proof, Your Honor? This is the home that she was at the night that she came back to the house on the 31st, Your Honor. Okay, well, we'll move on from this. Were Kathy Durst and Gilberte Najami lovers? Chesnoff apparently hopes that this unfounded implication will tarnish the jurors' perceptions of them both. But Watlington shuts down that line of questioning. Okay. So, who told when you? I, when I spoke to Gilberta, she said we had a party planned for Kathy, or we wanted her to come to a party. And it was at Gilberta's home. But I certainly, I think Gilberta was gay. And I think she had a partner, but that's about all I know. Okay, thank you. Yeah. Chesnoff's next few questions suggest that Watlington did not initially take Kathy Durst's comments seriously. If she had, he says, she would have reported them to the police. Did you ever report to any authority 
either at the school or law enforcement, any of your concerns as a result of the phone conversations that you had with Mrs. Durst before the call you say you made to the police after January 31st? Never. So your friend is telling you about all these, according to you, bad things that are happening, but you never reported it to anybody, did you? No. Did you ever tell her to seek a counselor? That you recall? We talked. We talked at length um, about you know. I was so worried about her being beaten and. You're not uh, answering trying... my question. Do you no, I no, I don't know that I did. I might have. Thank you. I'm not trying to be quarrelsome, but you have to listen to me. Okay. I try to ask. Yeah. <laughs> right. Lewin in his redirect examination will later allow Wallington to clarify that the reason that she did not go to the authorities with her concerns was that she knew no one would hold the Durst accountable. Chesnoff also uses Wallington's cross-examination to continue his efforts to paint an image of Kathy as an erratic drug abuser. And again, Deputy D.A. Lewin objects. Now, on these occasions where you spoke to her on the phone late at night, you've acknowledged that she was drunk, correct? She was drunk on one occasion, I okay. can tell. And um, she was going on and on and on, was she not? She was. Okay, and now as a medical doctor, is talking a lot, going on and on, sometimes consistent with cocaine use? Oh. Excuse me, is that an objection? Absolutely. Really? <coughs> I think it's consistent. <coughs> you can establish a foundation for expertise in, uh, in uh, drug abuse if, uh, if you believe she has it. Go ahead. Doctor, um, in your experience as a medical doctor, have you been trained on the effects of narcotics on people? I have done some training in that. I did not have that training at the time. But now, do you have that training? I did. Okay, and are you familiar as a result of your training of the effects that cocaine has on people? Somewhat, yes. Okay, and are you aware as a result of your training that cocaine can cause people to talk excessively, incessantly for long periods of time? Uh, yes. Finally, the defense tries to use Watlington's testimony to revive a tactic that had been denied to them throughout the three-plus years of motion hearings on the case, third-party culpability. Chesnoff suggests that Watlington misunderstood Kathy Durst's plea. Don't let the bastard get away with it. Instead, he asks, if Kathy could have been referring to Robert Durst's father, Seymour, with whom Kathy Durst also had a strained relationship. Now, at some point in time, did she tell you that she was afraid Seymour Durst was going to kill her? Objection relevance, Your Honor. Also, it's hearsay. Absolutely. Dead uh, mind. Uh, we, overruled. Uh, you know, I believe that's a third-party culpability. I don't argument. think so. Can the jury be instructed then as to how they cannot use that information? Uh, yes. Uh, so uh, let's see what the answer is. <laughs> Did she tell you that? Um, she, she was wary of the family a little bit, yes. And she told you that Seymour Durst was, she was afraid he, Seymour Durst, was going to kill her in one of these conversations, correct? Your Honor, the I same think... objection, Your Honor, the court came. Again, Lewin objects, 
and again, any narrative impact of Chesnoff's speculation seems muted. Overall, jurors seem genuinely disturbed by the nature of Kathy's phone calls and captivated by the gravitas in Watlington's testimony. And they sit in rapt attention when she delivers Kathy's plea. Don't let the bastard get away with it. By contrast, the jury seems confused by Chesnoff's narrative tactics, which feel like pinpricks to the image of Kathy Durst's character and do little to diminish the wrenching image of an abused woman in grave distress in the months before her disappearance. And thanks to her friend Marion Watlington, Kathy Durst has had her day in court. That was Kathy Durst Speaks from the Past, Don't Let the Bastard Get Away With It, by Chris Taracone. For more storytelling news and narrative analysis in the world of crime and justice, head on over to crimestory.com. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next Crime Story podcast. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.